Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Howdy, folks. Happy Monday. Uh, well, it's happy for some people because you didn't have to dig out a four feet of friggin' snow, which I had to do this morning. Uh, hey, Kev, uh, we're live. Um, I was just regaling the other guys with the my, my uh, tale of woe of digging out of four feet of snow in my uh, driveway. Uh, of course, you know, the Buffalo area just got swamped. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Did everybody else? Uh, I mean, Russ is in Plymouth. So a couple of snowflakes, nothing much here. I know at home, nothing. It all got washed away already. Mm-hmm. Did the Mike did it surprise you that you got snow in Buffalo? You act surprised. No, they said they Well, no, but the funny thing is, it was like for the Bills game, which we'll all mention in a minute. Um, it was no snow, five degrees and minus three wind chill, but it was like there was no wind, so it was perfect. Uh, but, but perfectly cold. And then last night we had a fair warning. It was said winter storm warning on the on the signs on the highway, but you got to realize when we get that like nine times out of 10, we really don't get anything. It's like it's South of the city where all the skiing is that, that gets destroyed. And my area normally gets nothing. And I wake up this morning and you know, my, my car is basically near a wind tunnel near my house. And there's a four foot drift where my, where my car used to be. So I had to, uh, you, you, you just acted so surprised. I thought maybe you had really never seen. No, all I know is every time I go to Buffalo, it's snowing. So, and uh, every time we have the podcast, my phone rings. Um, but Russ, start us off with the pre-show. Okay, so um, it looks like Major League Baseball is going to use the Atlantic League again as a guinea pig for potential rule changes. And here we go. Here's two that I heard that I just thought were nuts. Mm-hmm. First one is they're going to have more zombie runners. If it gets to like the 11th inning, they're going to load the bases oh, with zombie on. runners. That's that's what I heard on the radio. So is that what they call them, zombie runners? Yep. Yeah, that's yes. you know that's how they because they don't really count. or ghost runners also ghost runners is the ghost name. Ghost runners. Okay. Yeah, runners. I prefer, I prefer, I prefer zombie. Prefer ghost like runners, but zombies, you're gonna go for it. Go for it. Get to the 16th inning, we're all feeling like zombies. <laughs> so there's that, and then the other one, which again I I hate. But I play softball, and I think they're trying to get a longer, flatter base. So, in other words, now the base will be um, more – it won't take as much to, to really stand on the base and be closer to second base. There's, there's going to be a difference now in the size of it, well, and I don't see the wisdom in that. I well, don't. no, I, okay, I, I don't – if they do it at second base, that's moronic. If they do it at first base, and I, I, I have – I have the pain to attest for this because yeah. when I played softball back back in the day, and it was just the regular square bag like in Major League Baseball, uh, instead in some softball leagues now they have the double bag at at first base, one for the runner, one for the the fielder, yeah. and 
I learned the hard way that one bag is not enough because the throw from shortstop while I'm trying to beat it out like Ricky Henderson uh, was <laughs> that that statement sink in, boys and girls. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> such a misleading statement. Um, but they are. It's well, let me finish As I'm streaking down first base, the throw <laughs> from shortstop comes high, and the first baseman backs up. To, to catch the to catch the throw. Right, the picture that comes to my head is this, Mike. Jesus. You're taking a lead off of first base, okay? No, 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 no. I'm we're I, looking I, at the pitcher like from the third base angle, and we're looking no, at the no, pitcher. No, he's no, like no. this. He's looking at you. I and, hit guy, and you're you're on a lead. Excuse you're looking runnerish. I hit the yeah. I, I hit the ball. I hit it. <laughs> he's he's going from home to first. And I'm trying to beat it out to first base. And when the throw comes and he had, he has backed up, I had to sort of veer my path and I hit the corner of the bag okay. and rolled my ankle over and broke my ankle. So, you know, I mean, for first base, I don't have a problem with that. For it's second, for all bases. They're going from 15 inches to 18 inches. And again, I don't see the wisdom in this one. They're trying, they're trying to increase steals I, in the league. That was quote unquote, the rationale they quoted last year. When this rule came out, was the extra was the little bit of extra space would make it more likelihood to increase steals in baseball. I, I say this with no particular animosity. Rob Manfred is the devil. I you Russ and you know my review yeah. of Manfred very yeah, well. Yeah, Russ, what, what, what you I'm very much in agreement on this. He's the worst commissioner in in for you. I mean, first what he did with the minor leagues is just sinful. Kev, what do you think of all this? Well, what I was going to say was uh, years ago, I mean, a lot of years ago, I played in a softball league. It's the only time I've ever seen this where all the bases were home plate-like. So oh, really? They were flat. They were flat. Okay. Um, they were not as hard. They were soft. It was almost bean, bean baggage. Hmm. Um, and I, I couldn't believe how simple it was, and there was no danger. You know, you're not yeah. turning your ankle on the bag. And the I asked the umpire whether it was harder. And he goes, well, no, because I'm just staring at the, you know, you're just staring at the square, you know. And I, I don't know why we haven't gone to those. They're, I mean, they're essentially flat because we've had so many injuries through the years. Uh, and there has to be a reason. I, I thought maybe Russ might know, actually. I don't know the reason, no. But the, and even for the stealing on this one, like, so I'm going to take a shorter lead now because the base is bigger. Like, it's just, I don't know if it's really well, going to help bigger that lead. much. You're close. You're close. You take your same. I know. Lead, I'm a little closer. closer to second. I get that. But it's like, it's only a couple inches. It's like, I'm wow. still going to have to take a lead. Well, well, that's, that's, that's 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 look, look what's that's happened that's on replay, right? I mean, replay has completely changed the game because now you see, a, you see a guy score or steal a base. You're like, hold on. Got to go to the replay. Yeah, make sure he, he didn't yeah. pop up off the bag by a millimeter as Gee. he was going past it to see if the guy kept the tag on him to Gee. make sure he wasn't out or not, which was not well, the whole purpose I, of it originally. I, I, wish, I wish we had that in 1985 with Don Dankinger. Well, the whole thing with the blown perfect game changed everything. Yes. That's where it all started to change. Yeah, that's well, I think we've answered my question of why we don't have those flat bases on second because they need something to grab as they're, as they're yep. sliding past yes. the, the bag. Yeah. But on yeah. first base, you know, you're running through it. Right. So, yeah. I, like to me, you would prevent, you know, how many injuries do you think we have a year uh, on the, Jason. you know, a, a bunch anyway. Uh, Jason, Jason Kendall's tore his ankle, ankle, yeah. and basically yeah. sliding off the there, bag. There's definitely a few. Would yeah. it also, one other thing, Kevin, would it also maybe, we know sometimes where, where, a, where a ball player might not be busting it to first. Mm hmm. 
you know, the possibility maybe in the back, you know, if the shot's not that good and they think it's going to be close, maybe they're hesitant and maybe knowing that the bag is, is going to be flatter, less chance of injury and more chance of a guy busting it out of the box. Now, let me let me ask this oh. question before. Let me ask this question before we start. Before we start the show, um, what the highlight of the weekend was in your football viewing? I'll save mine to last because I think you know what it is. But I wanted to get everybody's opinion on the the highlight because I know a lot of people were reveling in the defeat of the Dallas Cowboys. They loved. They loved it. Um, okay, Anthony, you or Jan, you start, and then we'll go around the horn. I think it everybody has to be Dak Prescott getting stopped after a seventeen yard run in the clock running out and the official in the way. I mean that that was I mean there's two of them there's the two if there's the two incidents with the officials that probably was the highlights of the weekend. Yeah, you know, I I, I I was just stunned that they attempted that play when you had two you had two throws in the end zone, two Hail Mary attempts or you could have done that and then even if that was successful you were only going to get one and you were only going to change your position on the field by 10 yards. So what's the difference if it's a 40 or a 30 or 35 and 25. I don't remember exactly what it was, but the highlight for me, um, just because, uh, you know, uh, Roethlisberger reminds me of a 1960s style football player. He was never a mobile, even in his prime. Uh, he always labored, but he always found a way to get it done. He's 40 years old. There's no reason for him to have played till he's 40 years old. And yet he was out there doing his thing. The Steelers had no chance going in, um, but I appreciated watching Roethlisberg. What may be, but he sort of alluded to the possibility he was going to play somewhere else, but uh, probably it was his last game. So that was my highlight. I'm going to go Dak Prescott. I mean, it was it was nonsensical. I mean, if nothing else, you should know that you have to give the ball to the ref so he could spot the ball. Why would you give it to your center? Like, it's a choke. He choked. I mean, for me also, I mean, even prior to that, though, the, the decision to go the quarterback draw to begin with, uh, he had several opportunities there and just was not the play call I would have thought they were going to come up with here. Uh, but then, obviously, once once that play happened uh, where they were trying to snap the ball, it was just like – and everybody was incensed. And then after the game, the comment as well, how quickly <laughs> Dak switched because of, the, because of the debris being thrown into the – into the uh, into the where the players area was, and they were told afterwards, oh, they were throwing the debris at the officials, and then he says, oh well that and well then it's okay. I mean that was basically, and that was a comment where I thought that's not yeah. a good, that is a bad. I get it. He's trying to show you know switch. Maybe it was a quick moment because he was bad luck in that moment, and suddenly switching and saying, oh we weren't the target. Well I guess that's not such a bad thing. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of that, you know, we always uh, talk about receivers who start running with the football before they catch it. Oh, yeah. I noted that the referee who called game over it was already taking three strides out yeah. of the stadium as he was announced. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was afraid he was going to get assassinated. Well, I'm, surprised, by Jerry I'm surprised he didn't go, he didn't go back to New York for some kind of a replay review. Yeah, well. So. Uh, but of course, mine uh, was the what they're calling in Buffalo. Either they're either calling it the perfect game or the Boston massacre, because the the Bills, after 20 years of suffering, opened a can of whoop ass on Bill Belichick. Uh, seven drives, seven touchdowns. They didn't punt, kick, 
or uh, or turn over the ball, which I guess was the first time in NFL history that that happened. And at the end of the game, Belichick gave like a two-second handshake to Sean McDermott and then crawled back into his hole in the in the New England locker room. Not that I'm saying, you know, this it, it, it's a great moment for Buffalo. Problem is, is it's short-lived because they'll lose in Kansas City next week. But uh, you know, for, for a funny guy, Mike. Hey, Mike. <laughs> All the right like, this way, Josh Allen, four four incompletions, five touchdown passes, 300 yards passing. Perfect game. Yards really, first you know, time ever that. in NFL Mike, history. Why don't you just enjoy the win, I, Mike, instead I of worrying about it? Like, why, you know, why don't you just let him play the game? Like, why are you even <laughs> a sports fan? Like, Mike's not even watching Mike, next week, I hear. Mike's like, not allowed to watch anymore. Why, like, why do you, why do you watch sports? Because you already know what's going to happen. Then. My <laughs> favorite moment. Because I love suffering. That's why. I'll, I'll bring my favorite moment because I know you guys didn't. I did actually watch some of the football. Um, my favorite moment was was Troy Aikman, um, who's doing the um, color for the Eagles Eagles game, which was a horrendous game. Um, but after that game is done, they're talking about the Cowboys-San Francisco game. I don't know if any of you guys caught this. Mm-hmm. We said that's going to be a great game. There were some analysts that definitely would have rather been yep. at that game. Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. Would like to have been asked to call that game. But, it's you a know, hard life, though, was, when you get the post game afterwards, though, and it's like, oh, God, I got to choose, choose. You know, it's the dead of winter, and I got to choose to either be in Tampa, Florida – or Dallas, Texas. Or Dallas, Texas. And then when the then turning over the Texas game and seeing that Romo is like the analyst for that game and thinking well, Aikman I, must have been like, oh, that was, man. That, that, was the, that, was, that was the weird thing because Fox is the NFC uh, yep. uh, a, a, a broadcasting network and CBS is the, is the AFC. And CBS with Nance and Romo got San Francisco – Dallas. It was bizarre. I don't, I don't know why that was necessarily bizarre for the reason that again, Romo being a more recent right player of the Dallas Cowboys, I and mean, we're not looking at obviously resume in this case, but um, that I thought that might have played a little bit of a role in, in yeah. why the assignment I probably did. But I thought yeah, you know, he was hard on Dallas too. I thought he Romo was. Yeah, he was. Dallas Kev, and he and he before anybody called it and said. The, the the umpire didn't yeah. touch the ball. He called. He yeah. is really sharp. He's really. Oh good. yeah, he's he's the best analyst going. Uh, uh, he was the minute he done he did his first game. He was the best yeah. guy. He's just really good at. It. One thing I wanted to bring up, you know, you always have these moments in life, even though you kind of know generally how old people are. When you actually hear the actual figure, it really kind of hits you hard. And I had mentioned before that, you know, the, I remember one in particular in, in hockey when I read a press release about. Uh, uh, Harry Neal and the Buffalo Sabres, where it said Harry Neal, comma eighty, comma, and I went, "Holy cow!" Because I, you know, I did a story on Harry Neal when he was considered one of the young coaches in the NHL. <laughs> that me hard. But anyway, yesterday when they talked about uh, Belichick celebrating his seventieth birthday in two months, I went, "Wow." Belichick is going to be 70? Like, you know, if you would have asked me, I would have said ah, 65, 64. But 70, that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's up there. You know, guys, he's not going to coach till he's 80, you know. So my, my comment would be it's too bad he wasn't 75 and he would be done coaching, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they didn't lose the game because of him. They lost the game because Buffalo is a much better team. And, and as Russ and I, as Jet fans, we're more than happy to have your Buffalo Bills put a can of whoop ass for one day. On New England, <laughs> that was it. One day. Yep. yep. Mike is over to ready because they're losing to Kansas City. They're not everybody, even showing up next week. I hear everybody. <laughs> I put my Mahomes Met shirt on and root on the Chiefs. 
There we yeah, go. I was gonna. I had that penciled in. I was gonna watch that game, but I guess there's no need to, according to Mike. It's already. <laughs> <laughs> sort, sort, of, sort of bridging in the hockey, real quick though. It was pretty, whoa, 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 whoa. Let, 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 let's do the read. Let's do the read. Yeah. Ready? Here we go. All right, it's the 17th. Hello, hockey world. It's a hockey show. Remember? Um, hello, hockey world. It's Monday, January 17th, 2021. Two. I'm Michael Agello, and I'm one of the most positive persons in the world. Uh, I'm Jan Levine, and happy Martin Luther King Day to everybody. Yes. I'm Anthony Mangione, Centerized Philly Magazine. Russ Cohen, Sportsology. Kevin Allen, Hockey Buzz. And I'm Eklund. You're watching Hockey Buzz. Get on HockeyBuzz.com. This is the podcast that comes every Monday through Friday to fill you in on comings and goings in the hockey world. And uh, a lot of places we could start today. Um, could, we start, could we start with Connor McDavid? Let's start with Connor McDavid. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> um, okay. The Edmonton Oilers, I think, had not played in over a week. They played uh, the lowly Ottawa Senators on Saturday. They had a 3-1 lead and blew it and lost 6-4. And Connor McDavid, after the game, expressed some frustration. Not to the point that he said, get me the hell out of Dodge, like I think I said on Twitter. But, you know, some, some frustration. And, Kev, I, I, I will ask the question that I've asked ad nauseum how long will it be before he says get me the f out of here well i don't know the answer to that but i don't know why they keep running him out there uh to discuss this you know the general rule in the nhl is is that you know they have alternate captains for a reason to kind of share the load and he has shown that he is really that's not his best scenario um, talking post game after a loss or in frustration, um, and he looks bad doing it. And I think they should bring in other people to start rotating uh, through all that. But at some point, he is going to, you know, this yeah. is going to be become an issue for him. I, you know, I don't think it's there yet, but I don't think it's that far off either. Oh, I, I yeah, I think so too. And and it, it's it's a, it's a tough spot, but I, he's been he's been a good soldier. I mean, he's not he's not been. You know, never. I've never got the impression he was at all Im implying that he wants out of Edmonton in, in any way, shape, or form. Like, not know. yet, but he's going to be. It's going to get to that point. We've seen it happen in every sport with a lot of big players. But we know he's not good in those situations. To yeah, it, this is the so. thing. He's not. He's not. And it's a tough. It's. A, it, it is just. You need to know that Kevin's right. I mean, you need to. The the media people who run the team need to know. Right. That. Like those are the guys who have to protect him. Honestly. He needs to, you know, and, you know, if I was McDavid's agent, that would be the first call I made, you know, today. It would be like to the media people on the team saying, what are you doing? You know, you gotta stop, stop putting him in situations where he's, where he's going to not, where he's going to fail. You know, you don't, you don't yeah. want to put a player on the ice where they're going to fail. Yeah. You don't want to put a player in front of the media where they're going to fail. I mean, what is, what is the reason that you bring in a veteran who's won three Stanley Cups like Duncan Keith? Part of it is to take some of the heat off McDavid. He's, you know, he's been, you know, he's been in those situations before in terms of, you know, high pressure situations and he he can help out, but they don't seem to be doing There's not, a, I don't think there's a language barrier or dry sidle. He's, I think he speaks English pretty well, so he could handle it as well. I, I think, I think the, uh, the, the organization is sort of dropping the ball, but I think all this is doing, Anthony is exacerbating the situation by putting him out there and just showing that he's pissed off. It's kind of also reminds me a little bit of when we have, um, you know, Claude Giroux in Philadelphia as well, when we get, you know, a yeah. series of, of losses in a row and yeah. it's, you know, asking questions of Claude as it feels like it's, 
you know, yeah, it's just it's team. awful. It's awful, and they, they try. And, and the Flyers are actually pretty good about you know distributing the load in terms of the media availability. Uh, so it's something I think that Edmonton, you know, probably should do. And I'm kind of curious. I mean, how often? The question is again in terms of press conferences. We always see the clip of McDavid. How often has Keith and some of the others? you know, throughout the season have spoken much. I'd have yeah. to look at the Oilers website and see their video and see how they break it. It's down. a tough thing to say because it's possible, you know, that we only see the net from the national perspective. They're not going to put it, you know, when it's like, right. you know, Duncan right. Keith and Darnell nurse out there, you know, exactly. you're not going to necessarily, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I mean, my, what people don't realize about the captaincy, the one thing that really does, well, there's many things that are hard about it, but one is that you are responsible for talking to the team when you lose and you're the first person out there. And quite often you're one of the best players. So you're on the ice at the very end of the game and you're, you're out and you're exhausted because you're trying to tie it up or what have you. I mean, remember, and remember, I remember Peter Forsberg here in Philly, you know, and the situations with him when he had to, when he had to talk to the media, you know, and he, you know, and there's always questions about his foot and all this stuff. He had to go over and over and over this stuff. It's just it's a tough spot, and yeah, Drew's been the captain for a very long time. But the captain isn't the captain doesn't talk post game every game. I know, like in, with you know, I, of course I'm on every media availability for the Leafs, and Tavares is you know once every two or three, you know, either practices or media availabilities he speaks. You know, Matthew. Kind of rare though, a lot more captain. Cap- yeah, but, but, but look at the off. difference. McDavid, to a certain extent, is the face of the NHL as well, right? He is a public figure. He yeah. is the most well known. Or one of the most well-known figures in the league itself. So of course he's going to be out there front and center, and they're going to play. But he doesn't out have to talk every game. game. That's ridiculous. No, he, he doesn't. And well, first really? of all, let me correct something. The hardest thing a captain has to do is organize the Halloween party. Captains have done that for years. Uh, <laughs> the hardest thing they have to do. Um, but you know, this is this is a read for the um, you know the media uh guys uh to to determine like in in detroit when it's uh uh difficult and and when they sense that uh larkin has had to do too many of these uh, because the red wings uh, you know are inconsistent they bring out mark stall who they know is very good in these uh situations uh he's a guy that can answer all these he can talk about uh you know inconsistency without getting uh, frustrated by it Uh, the other day they had dylan larkin and everybody wanted to ask him about being named to the all-star team. He goes, you know, I really just don't feel like talking about the all-star game because we just played so terribly is yeah. like what he said. And it was, it would, they would have been better served in that game to have Mark Stahl who just knows how to deal with that. Some guys are very good at it. Some are not. So yeah. James, James Van Rieza, for example, is also, you know, he never gets flustered by a question, right? Uh, especially in post game. He's definitely one of the ones I think Philly, you know, draws on K's as well and a few others, but yeah, it's, it, it's better to have, I think it is right. I think it, again, the distribution of, of voices. When I mean, the best of all time, by the way, at that was Mark Messier. No question. I, I don't care what you ask him. You, you know, you could have asked him, you know, um, anything about, uh, you know, the team or, you know, whether he witnessed the murder or it didn't matter. Yeah. You know, he was always the same and always gave you a good answer. You know, they did a lot of losing in the 2000s, and I covered him a lot, and he was out there a lot. Yeah, and he just had it down. And he always wanted to be the guy. And I actually did a story where I asked him about being a captain. He said, well, I always do it because I feel that I want to take that burden away. That's why I'm the captain. You know, I don't want to have my teammates have to deal with all that. I'll deal with all that. So. And I'll just say this as a yeah. postscript to the McDavid thing here is that, 
you know, him and Jack Eichel, they were one, two in that draft, but they're not particularly close. And there was always try the attempt to put them together in sort of sort of rivalry, but you know, both teams have struggled, but you would think that the Eichel situation, even though there's completely different, it had to do with injury, but it had to do with also the failure of the team that he was on getting and having uh, success in the playoffs. And the fact that Eichel at his first realistic opportunity got the hell out of Buffalo and McDavid's got to be thinking now, you know, he's had some success. He's won scoring titles. He, you know, he's, he's the best player in the league, but he's 25 years old. And basically you could say he's wasted the first half of his career because he hasn't had any success and he hasn't had a team around him that could help him have success. And it's just how much longer the clock is ticking. But Eichel, Eichel's getting out, Mike, is, is totally – Eichel got out. Yeah, but, yeah. Not, but not – but for it's different very weird reasons. Yeah, yeah, I said it different like, I mean, if, if Eichel's healthy, we're not – he's not out. You know, it's, it's not as if the Edmonton Oilers are – it just – Buffalo, just a lot of competence in this circumstance, whereas I believe in this case, Edmonton is trying. Right. Yeah. I think it does have blind spots in certain spaces. Now, but let, let's reverse this, though, and say okay. what if the Buffalo Sabres had won two cups in the last five years and he had that same injury? Would he be right. in Vegas? I think the answer is no. No, no for sure. Exactly. No. I think right. I think the lack of success in Buffalo was – the, was the main reason, and I think that the injury situation fast-forwarded it. So, I'll tell you something that we haven't seen with Eichel, which I'm, I am kind of looking forward to in Vegas, is him talking to the media in good times. Because Eichel, honestly, is hilarious. Like, he is one of the funnier personalities out there. He's a really – I think I think he's going to be a great personality to be in front of the – you know, I mean, he's always had to be ask, answering questions in, in rough situations, you know. But if he's in, if, if if Vegas goes on a run and he's you know the winning playoff games and he's put and he's doing well and he's put up in front of it, you're gonna see a, you're gonna see one of the better personalities in the league, which we have not seen. Like he's got a much better personality than McDavid, and he's he's I think in my opinion at least talking to both you know I think he's much more interesting than McDavid. I um, think McDavid's like Crosby. Cros- you know, they're, they're sort of like no, he's, he's he's got that Canadian politeness to him. Yeah, um, Eichel doesn't have it. Eichel's like you know he's he's the he's got the. Boston. Are you saying he's a brash American? Act? What was that? <laughs> It is kind of what he's saying. Brash American? Is that what you're saying? Not the brash American, just like not, not you know, not taught to be polite in every situation. (laughs) You know, like Eichel Eichel says. I know know nothing of what that's like. Um, Eichel says what he's thinking, and you know, and I think that, but he hasn't done that because he's been. You don't do that when you're losing. You know, you don't do that in a situation where you're losing like that. He, I know. I think we haven't seen. Like I remember when the first time I ever met both of those guys was when they brought them, you know, to the NHL Stanley cup finals and you're meeting and you're talking to those players. Right. And I was, I, you know, I, I, we all just get a second, you know, but I was watching Eichel and, and I was watching McDavid in their scrums, you know? And um, I was like, wow. I kept, I remember thinking, man, Eichel is going to be fun. He's going to be a fun player. He's going to be a fun player to carry cover. And that, cause this is before he's even drafted, but I'm thinking he's going to be a blast. I mean, thinking that McDavid was going to be a little bit vanilla, you know, like he's going to be, that's the way he was going to be. And sort of as, Turned out that way. You can accept Vanilla when you're the best player in the league. For sure. For um, sure. I got one right. thing here, Mike. That's go ahead. Good. No, all no, right. No, so no. This is going to be a positive story for a second. Just uh, okay, Mike, I'll, you can I'll, go I'll away. You can go away and come back. I'll let you know we're done. Yeah, I'll come I'm going to throw this out. Um, Ovechkin versus Gretzky in school goal scoring. Okay. So for the first, from, from, from age 19 of Gretzky's career to age 28, in each of those years, well, that's a, so that's a, like roughly like eleven years, I'd say something like that. He outscored Ovechkin in each of those years in goals. Like the first year, 
when he was 19, Gretzky scored 51, Ovechkin had none, you know, um, but let's, but, you know, but, and it went on and, and there were close years in 20, you know, in 20, when he was 27 it's or 28. It's tough to catch up when he scored 92 goals, but go ahead. Right, right. He has 92 goals that one year, you know, um, so there are big discrepancies there, but since the age of 29, since the age of 29 through now 36, if you were to take both of those ages for both those players, right? Mm-hmm. Ovechkin has scored more goals than Gretzky in each of those years. So over the last seven years, um, or in eight years, actually eight years, sorry, eight years it is, mm-hmm. and and that that including this year, where last where last night his goals gave him one more goal than Gretzky had when Gretzky was thirty six, and we're only we're not even halfway through the season for Ovechkin, right? So we're looking at a big jump, but you know, even but, even but you Gretzky know, wasn't known as a goal scorer, like that's not no, his. But, but he's chasing the goal record. Also at that and age, get, I think is when he started having the back woes. That's when he, I think, first time the we're chasing the goal record. games because of the back. Yeah. You're in your thirties. You're in your mid to late thirties. And again, the player profile is different. Counting yeah. for errors is completely, you know, the early. Well, the errors Gretzky has going for him, right? I mean, like yes. Gretzky was in a yeah. much bigger, higher yeah. scoring era. Right. So, but to me, like the, the amount of dominance that Ovechkin has shown in his thirties, over Gretzky's in, in, in his theories, as far as goal scoring goes, needs to be noted. It's it's a it's a it's a really. I, I mean, pe- people don't people don't remember. He after he got traded to L.A., he had a few good, really good offensive years, and then he had I, I think it was back issues, neck injury. It was a neck injury. He, he, had, he missed the first forty games of the year. I think they right, made a cup right. run in ninety three. He missed right, it right, right. And 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 that's the thing. It's like he had a really good half a year, and then of course they people think you know since he was a little older that helped him you know, be Superman in the 93 playoffs, which I'm sure most people in Toronto really love him for. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, basically after that, I mean, I'm not to say, you know, he scored 20 goals a couple of times. He was essentially an assist guy. He was more of a, he was more yeah. of a setup guy than he was the scorer that he was in his twenties. And, and Ovechkin is a freak act. He's, he, you know, oh, there's he, no question about it. As long as he maintains his skating ability, I, like and that that's a big question because he's in his late thirties. If he stays as good as he is right now, he's gonna break Gretzky's record. I don't. I have no doubt. And the guy who probably but it may have broken it if he unfortunately didn't have the health woes was Lemieux because to look at Lemieux was just as much of a freak of nature physically as Ovechkin was, just in yeah. terms of size and everything else and reach. Lemieux was phenomenal. Just unfortunately he yeah. had the cancer and he also had the back woes. Yeah, but sure. we do have to bring up still the Gretzky's 50 goals in 39 games because that transcends any generation and that really is the mark. And yeah, Ovechkin hasn't even gotten close to that. No, <laughs> I do agree. I mean, in, in terms of pure goal scoring, like Wayne Gretzky, um, is it was always a better playmaker than he was a goal scorer. And I say that even when he scored 92, I just yeah. think he saw the game so differently. Yeah. That for a few years he had an advantage that also allowed him to score goals. Yeah. Um, and then you know, people kind of figured out what he was doing, and more and more people um you know paid attention to it, and you know, it was a little harder for him to, to score goals. But even when he was scoring 92, you know, really what he had was a vision that was kind of second to none. And I agree with uh Jan about it. Like Mario, the way I always viewed I broke it down was uh, you know, and people always thought it was a cop-out, but that's how I really felt. Gordie Howe was the best all-around player. Wayne Gretzky was the, the best thinking player. Mary Lemieux was the best goal scorer I ever saw. He was money on a breakaway. The only guy that was even close in my mind was uh, Steve Eiserman yeah. during his prime. 
Um, and then, of course, Bobby Orr was the most exciting player in NHL history. So all four of them had something that others uh, weren't as good at it as they were. But I, I thought Mario was the best goal scorer. And, you know, and the evidence of that, uh, even though it was kind of a small thing, was the fact that he scored one night in every possible way. Against the Rangers <laughs> with, with guys draped all over him yeah. after the game. I mean, the one thing with Gretzky, I would say, is he's probably the first player where you had a shadow marking him throughout the entire game. I mean, for Boston, it was Steve Casper. They had other guys yeah. who played him more physical. But before that, you didn't really see almost like – it's almost like a box in one where you have a one-on-one matchup and everybody else is playing his own defense against the team. Well, yeah. the, thing, the, thing that, the thing that just stuns me about Mario is that, you know, what was it? He took off two and a half seasons. Mm-hmm. He comes yeah. back, and his first, his first game against the Leafs, I think he scored two goals, maybe a hat trick. I mean, I, I was watching the game. I can't remember. He just – like – he that really game, is- Mike, that, that was the most – that game, I remember where I was in that game. I think a lot of people – the first game that Lemieux was back, that was the most incredible thing. I, it's got to be one of the top five things I've ever and seen. And this wasn't a this wasn't a crappy Leaf team. This is no, a- this is a good team. He comes back in and immediately, after missing all that time, just steps up and dominates it. Right? Uh, and to, to me, that wasn't uh, the, the, the game. The game was is when he completed his radiation therapy at 11 o'clock in the morning. And played against the Flyers that night. Yeah, that was that, that game. Scored. That that was bigger than even being off two and a half. Like that's, you know, yeah. you talk to people who've gone through that, and he played a hockey game that night. Yeah, and he, and he also saved an entire franchise yeah. twice. And the Flyers yeah. gave him a standing ovation. Which Flyers fans gave him a standing ovation. Which yeah, I was just amazing that that was that you know you don't yeah. see every day in Philadelphia. So um, now let no. can I uh, go ahead? Uh, yep. Um, let's get into the rumor thing because on the weekend. Yep. Uh, Jeff Merrick on, on Hockey Night in Canada, the, the intermission, brings up that the Dallas Stars are stepping up trade talks regarding John Klingberg, which is a little surprising because they're tied with Edmonton. And Edmonton is not out of the playoff race, but they're, you know, they're struggling. And Dallas has struggled recently. But, you know, the, a couple of weeks ago, all the stuff about Klingberg really wanting out if they weren't going to sign him to the contract – you know, sort of leaked out there, and he tried to try to tamp it down. But I think the way people interpreted it, act was that it wasn't him that asked to tra- ask for the trade; it was his agent that asked for the trade, so he could have plausible deniability and say, "I didn't I, ask for a trade." I think more than that. I think the way to interpret it would be that they realize that they're not going to get a deal done. Right. And not not that it's, not that he asked for a trade, but that they're not going to be able to bring him back. And not being able to bring him back is in, in, is is in a way asking for a trade, but not re- he's, he's not really. You know, I mean that's. Like if, if they were given the money, he would stay. You know, that, right. that's good. Once he wants to stay if they if they pay him eight million bucks, but they can't with. But they realize they can't. So that in a way is the, is the agent asking for a trade or anything or him asking for a trade, but just by saying I'm not going to be back because it puts them in this position where they they're very much where Forsberg where like Kevin said where Nashville is with Forsberg right where you know right. but with Forsberg we don't know yet that they can't bring him back but there's the there's this growing feeling that they can't bring him back and. Then, I, I think they will. I just I think they will too, but I, I just think they'll figure it out. I you know, I know even though I've been told that they haven't made up their mind yet. I, I just you know, we know David Poyle's history. You know, last year everybody said he was gonna, you know, trade Granlin and uh, Ekholm and then of course it helped that Ekholm said, you know, I make good money, I don't need any more money. You know, yeah. so that makes it a little easier to keep a guy. Yeah, um, they went they went on that big run right near the deadline and the right. And and Forsberg really wants to be there, and he's a very mild mannered uh, guy. You know, he's a typical sweet. Yeah, they're just nice people. Yeah, but but also Granlin is a Granlin's relationship with Nashville is very interesting because they have times of definitely not wanting him back, but just kept him. Correct. 
and they didn't, like, they didn't like they better like they were they yeah. were perfectly willing to let him walk away right but but the, here's here's the question i have about about these rumors is yeah. like okay, normally and we all know this you maximize your value by getting as close to the deadline as possible when teams are desperate um in in the now in the covid world it's you know when can when can dallas get the most for this deal i mean is it now when you know you're happy you have half of the season left and teams need to sort of separate themselves i mean i i, I think because it's, it's it's very curious kev i normally you don't see these trades happen until i'd say two weeks before the day well here's the deal that i was told by it says you know something that we talked about before last week which was that if you look at the capfriendly.com you'll see all the contenders no one has any money uh, everybody has three hundred thousand dollars or less, except uh, for the Rangers. Except, except for my and, team. Yeah, yeah. You got to let me finish my sentence before you can. <laughs> so, except for the New York Rangers and the Nashville Predators. Right. Okay. So you know, and I think the thought is, we, we better trade Klingberg now because you know maybe yeah. we'll you know somebody will figure out a way to do it now, but they won't be able to figure out how to do it later. So. Yeah. Right, where um, the Rangers get Giordano, you know, or something like that. That's like the, that's the reality is like, in the, that's what could happen, you know. But yeah. this is his worst statistical season, and he's twenty nine. His shooting percentage is down to two point one percent. He's got one goal. Like well, he's not going to garner what he would have garnered the year before when he was absolutely but, red hot or nineteen twenty. Well, you know? Russ, hey, what, what, do you, what do you think they can get, Russ? I think if it's a it's a contending team, you could definitely get a first. But again, somewhere between twenty seven and thirty two is not that big of a deal. So you can get that, and you'll get some sort of prospect. But I don't think it'll be a team's best prospect. I don't. Well, Kevin, have you heard anything where, 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 where wait, they wait. might move McCann? Kevin, I mean, he's a restricted free agent with Arbright. You know, they could probably get a pretty decent all in their draft right now. Is not looking as optimal as they thought it was going to be compared, obviously, to Vegas. Well, I, I just wonder too if this reflects the fact that maybe Dallas is not confident in their ability to make the playoffs as well. And Russ, in that case, contributing factor might be the fact that they've put Klingberg in non-scoring positions. Now they're putting him on the bottom pairing with Joel Hanley. Yeah, but his numbers have been dropping even since last year. Like well, he he is trending down compared to what he used to be able to do. Well, that's why that's why I don't think it would be smart for any team to sign him on a long-term deal for eight million bucks. But if we're talking about a rental here. Then I think that you know you'll have multiple teams. In yeah, but I I still wouldn't give up my top prospect on a first for him. I wouldn't. What's his money now? Uh, he's at four. I think it's four eight. But let me double check. Yeah. Okay. What Maybe could the Rangers to... get? What, what, what would the Rangers have to give up for Klimberg and Pavelski? Perhaps off in a number one. Yep. Just well, like, first of all, I think they'd have a difficult time doing that um, because yeah, they would. Salaries, that's what twelve million. They could eat half the salary to make it palatable. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got 8 million. So they'd have to move someone off the roster. Klingberg's at four and a quarter. So actually, I mean, if you retain half on that one, you know, 2.1 million, that's very fittable for a lot of teams. Yes. If if you're the Rangers and you make that move without like giving up crafts off the first round pick and, or, and maybe some salaries kept, or maybe a third team gets involved and maybe you have to give up another pick too. Sure yeah, the two combined are eleven point two five million because Pavelski's at seven right now. So right, so Dallas so eats half or even forty percent. That still gives them flexibility roster wise. So it's five. Who would who would be the guy they'd take out? You think? Yeah, that's the question. I think Kravtsov would have to be one of the guys that goes. I would think 
Who comes off their current salary? Um, McKay can come off the roster. He's not making anything. No, I mean, they would love to get Nemeth off the roster, but I don't think that's going to happen. Well, Nemeth, you could could move him back to Detroit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they might take him for it. You know, they'd have to give up something to do it. Yeah, they still the Rangers years become the favorite year, immediately if they make that trade. If they make yeah. that trade, are the Rangers the immediate favorite in the East? Yes. That yeah. well, them, them along with. T- I mean, right now, how, okay. How many favorites do you think you have in the in the East alone? A lot. Right now you have six. Florida. You only have one favorite. Florida is number one. Florida, Tampa no. Bay, Toronto, Toronto. Yeah, but I still think Rangers. I, I still, Rangers. By definition, there's one favorite. Well, it's the Stanley Cup champion. Well, I, I think it's Florida still. You still think it's Florida? I think it's if, that, if that deal, Carolina that deal has happens, to be up there us, that deal happens, you still think it's Florida? If he, I, I still think, think it's Florida. I, the, I think it's a coin flip down there. I, I think that's yeah. a 6 4 five, 5 if you play a 10. It is ridiculously close. There's no question it's about that. It's close. I'm not comfortable saying on either. I, I, I lean Tampa just because of prior experience, but I also wonder about wear and tear of long of, of long yeah. playoff runs for them. Uh, but that's the only thing that really kind of, to me, to be the thing. But remember, Anthony, Kucherov missed all of last year. He came yep. back for the playoffs. He's yep. missed a month of this year. He's come back. So they've had guys that have missed time yep. where they yep. haven't necessarily had the whole full run. Same with Stamkos also. To be the king, you got to beat the king. But, uh, you know, but I, I mean, yeah, Florida's having a fantastic year. So so is Toronto. So uh, so are the Rangers in Washington and Pittsburgh. I mean, the thing is, you've got – okay, I you've got eight teams right now, and we talked about this last week, that, that have sort of started to separate themselves. And now I think the only thing that we'll have to – We'll have to ponder over the last uh, couple months, unless uh, ex New York Islanders make this magical run to a, a playoff spot, is who's going to finish where? Well, here, here's here's a question though: Like, does anybody worry about Andrew Burnett anymore? No, the All Star coach Andrew Burnett, who is getting yeah. criticized for being the All Star coach, whose team is scoring eight goals a game. I don't think anybody's worried about him anymore. Given the way that team is playing, yeah, no. And by the way, how stupid does everybody look for not signing Anthony Duclair? Yeah. Oh, I know. Well, that's you know that's I mean, a whole other. Speak, speaking of scoring eight goals a game, uh, finally the Colorado Avalanche have played enough games to be in first place uh, <laughs> right, in the right. Central Division. Uh, right. Um, but my gosh, like it seems to me, there's only one team in the West uh, right now. Yeah, when you watch that team play, like, even when they don't win, I just look at them and boy, they've got all the parts as long as their goaltending is okay. Now that's yeah, kind of a big if, but do you think Darcy Kemper can do it, or do you think does Colorado go after Eklund's favorite guy, Marc Andre well, Fleury? Yeah, I, I just ended up having a conversation about this very subject. The problem we have with that situation is um, Joe Sackick might now be the hardest read. Like the, the person who I was talking to said, well, it could be Eisenman. He and Eisenman. I go, no. Like Eisenman, we know, has a history of aggressiveness. What we know with Joe Sackick is sometimes aggressive, he's aggressive, sometimes he's not, right. sometimes he is, sometimes he's not. Oh, yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. we have no idea what he's going to do there. And I, I, you know, I don't. I'm just, you're just guessing if you think you know what he's going to do. I, I really can't name a trade that Sackick has made that was um, really super risky. Like he doesn't really, that's not what he does. He does, he does manage. He, he waits waits out. until he gets what he wants. He waits until he gets what he wants. But when you're when you're in a situation like he's in right now, where you have perhaps the best team in the West and maybe one of the best teams in the NHL, you got to make a couple risky trades. You, do. You, have, you owe it to your team right now to make a couple risky trades. Give away, I don't know give if it was, away something. For I, now. I, 
I don't know if it was risky to bring in Sod from Chicago when Sod's value was down, but it's sort of, yeah, I think yeah. it was a little bit because with, but he turned it around and had a really good couple. But of everyone knew Sod could play. I mean, Sod because I was a player. Like that was no, there was no, that wasn't risky at all. Sod was down, but there's another thing though. Everybody talks about Anthony Duclair, and yeah, that was a good move and everything. And Ottawa could have had him, could have kept him, but they didn't. But Anthony I think Duclair, the Nazem Kadri move was risky. I do. Kadri risk. Oh, eh. No, not not, not really. Not, not really, Russ, because he had a, he had a, a defenseman who was an expiring contract. He wasn't going to resign in Tyson Berry. The Leafs wanted a, wanted an offensive defenseman at least until Mike Babcock decided. I'm not talking about him. like from an asset perspective. I'm talking about you don't know what that guy's going to do next from a well, getting suspended right. perspective. And they've so that is been, that's an element and, of risk to me. And they've already been burned by that cancer once. I'm, uh, let's see if they, it happens a second time. No, I do think we, there was some risk in that i do well which is That's why true. you better to have a pretty good number two center than going into yes. the playoffs on the off chance something happens which is a depth move that they can make right let me throw another name out there for the rumor mill yeah. um because i was talking to people about this today um right before we got on here and i just wrote about it really quickly in my blog as we were guys you guys are doing your free show um was um was vanacek possibly being available and i've heard this now from a couple different people yeah um, but he's not a different he okay he's not a different uh, goaltender act I'm not saying he's a. I'm not saying he's a difference maker completely, but it to me is fascinating that he is available, right? Because the reality is, I mean, they obviously let him go before they let him go in the right. they let him go in the waiver draft. You know, they were okay then, but they can only protect one guy, and I understood that. I understood why they went with Samson up. Um, but now they're in this situation. I think that he's at times been the better of the. Goal, he's been their best goalie at times this year, and that he's available. Shows the Capitals. I mean, I mean, Zach Fucal comes in and is doing really well too, right? Different situations. Mm -hmm. So they have three goalies there. So you can make. I guess Vanacek is the guy that they they think has the least potential. Well, no. He's also UFA after the year. That's yeah, right. right. He's also UFA and, after the year. So this and, is, is that a guy that Sakic looks at? You know, like I've been about that. And, and his salary is below league minimum. He makes seven hundred and sixteen thousand dollars. So is Vanacek what? a guy that Sakic looks at? I don't think so. I don't. I don't no. think there's a difference between him and Pavel Francouz. Honestly, right. Francouz is healthy, and his numbers are right down there with the the poor numbers that Colorado has. Right, like, his numbers aren't great. What so. Colorado really has to do, and that's why you know Jan brought up Flurry or or who you know a couple other goaltenders are on the market, is to upgrade over Kemper. I mean, Kemper got his first shutout of the season, but it shouldn't count because it was against the Arizona Coyotes. Um, he's not had a good year, and he's had injury issues. And he's so my, my my rumor I heard specifically was that that someone told me that they heard the Oilers had talked with Van to talk to Capitals about Vanacek. Well, Which that makes sense because they yeah, does he, make sense. he's cheap. That's I mean, a really that's a really well, interesting move. I think cheap I, now, I, I Mike, think he's not going to be made, cheap as UFA. Right. right this year, that's a great move if the Oilers can pull it off because that's a situation where he's not where he's not a lot of money. He's a better than any backup you have right now. Right. You know, he's a he's a great insurance. He can play if Mike Smith goes down. And you can Mike actually Smith has already gone down. He's if, he's right. when Mike Smith goes down. Thank you. But <laughs> but yeah, and and seven and like you said, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. That to me is a, that to me is a no brainer for Holland if he can pull it off. Now, just I mentioned the Coyotes, and Russ found out some interesting information about what's going on there, and it's always interesting to find out about the Coyotes and 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 Russ the the build in Tempe does not appear to be happening. But give us what you are. Yeah, here's I, I know somebody in construction who now has to work with the Glendale area. So he gets a lot of information. And so one of the first things he told me was it it's not like the builders and developers or anything that doesn't want that Tempe deal to go through. They all do. 
it's the city council and the group. So okay. he did tell me that he felt like maybe if there was another group that they still could, you know, pass that thing. They passed the arena. So, mm -hmm. so there's that. The other one, other thing he told me was that even though it's never being talked about at whatever it is, footprint.com arena or whatever, um, they still could house the ice for a hockey team. And even though when they renovated, they renovated with the thought that yes, you could still have a hockey team there. So, so there is that possibility still, even though it doesn't get talked about. And then the other thing is he told me that those Glendale people are not kidding around. He's, he's pretty sure they're taking the ice out to make this like a concert only kind of venue, like just to have those kinds of things. So I don't think there's any chance wow. or, or if I, I shouldn't, you never say never, but I'll say is a 99% chance they're not going back in that building. So, I mean, Kev, this, this is the thing. We know the NHL does not ideally want an NHL team being the secondary tenant in a building. Um, you know, when it's something like, uh, well, now it's crypto.com where the Clippers and the Lakers and the Kings play, they accept that. But uh, ideally, they, they don't want them sharing a building with the NBA because they want the premier dates. And in this instance, if they go back to what used to be the America West Arena, which, uh, from what I understand from people who were fans of the Coyotes back then, it was a great atmosphere and it was it was really good for hockey. Uh, and they sold out the building a lot of the times. Uh, if they go back there, it probably is only if it's a stopgap for them waiting until a new building is built. Otherwise, I don't see the point in staying there. And it could take up to three years now is what yeah. I was told. Kev? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it, from the NHL's perspective, it just matters what the team is. Like, I don't think they care that the Detroit Red Wings are sharing with the Detroit Pistons because if the Red Wings are good, they're going to draw regardless of what dates they have or anything else. The problem is, is Arizona is not Detroit and, you know, they're going to need the right dates and everything else. So, you know, that would be an issue. One thing I can add to it, I talked to someone who uh, is part of another team who said that what he's hearing around the league is, is that if Arizona has to go, there's only one site they're uh, considering and that would be Houston um, where sense. they're going to join a NBA team. The problem is, is the guy with the NBA team has no interest in being part of the ownership team. Right. Um, he just wants a tenant for the building. Right. Um, so uh, they, you know, have to get an ownership uh, deal with somebody. But uh, apparently, there are quite a few people out there who are willing to. Uh, and, and it could be a situation where they just they they rent from him for three or four years until they build their own building and then go to their own building. I mean, it's. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think that's what they're looking at. I think they're okay. looking about to, just to get in there. But saying all that, um, I think their first choice is still figure out how to save it in Arizona. But, you know, they got to get that done. And, you know, as you guys keep pointing out. They don't out, have a lot of time now. Yeah, they got to, you know, get a temporary lease in downtown, which I think has always been the, the plan in the back of their heads. And then they've got to get, you know, if they don't have it in place to build an arena, I don't think they're going to go temporary in another Building. Right. You think they know how quickly? You think they know they can get a temporary lease pretty quickly? They I must. Get the, I get the impression that they do. Yeah, yeah. I would guess yeah. they do know that. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm starting the campaign right now. I want the team to be named the Houston Arrows. No. No, and I'll tell you why. When I was in Houston, a lot of people didn't care about the Arrows. They didn't. You're going. You have new people there now. There's so many transplants in Houston. 
you need a new name. You want it to be trendy. You want to try and get younger people to those to those games, honestly. Well, don't name them. The, don't name <laughs> them. Well, the, like, no, that's the arrows are anyway, so you would be trendy now. Well, as, incredible new as, as a companion to the Rockets, because they named them the Houston Missiles. Right, right. No. Um, another player <laughs> in the rumor mill um, that I've been looking at the last couple of days. I'm working as I'm finally getting over my shingles and getting down to my rumor chart. Um, JT Miller, okay? He is there's a there is a lot of interest in JT Miller um, out there, and again, like Kevin, you said, there's not many places that can do it. It has to be a hockey trade, in all likelihood, I was told. Which you know, but yeah, is, what do you think? Have value? He's, he's a great, he's a great player. Um, I you know, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't seem like the kind of player Jim Rutherford would want to trade. But I, I've heard the same thing that uh, teams yeah. really want him. Um, well, and he, but he's yeah. he's a little different here because he's still got a year left. Right. Yeah, he's five and a quarter, but he's got a year left. So this isn't a typical rental. This is going to have to be closer to a hockey deal because you know, yeah, it'll be a hockey deal probably. Yeah, I could see them wanting them, and there's no question. You know, if they if they decide if Vancouver decides they're going to get rid of them, that probably does keep Besser there. That's probably the thought. Right. Well, they, yeah. Russ, they have to make a decision one way or the other on because both him and Horvat have the same type of salary and the same type of term, and they're both the UFAs after next year. So it's probably a situation where, I mean, Besser is an RFA and they've got to sign him, but in two years they've got to sign Orvet, and they probably figure they can't sign both of them. So they Yeah, my gut feeling is they keep Horvat. Yeah, I, and I, I would go the other way. I agree with you. I think they will keep Horvat, but I'd go the other way. I'd keep Miller and trade Horvat. I, and I think Besser is definitely, a, you know, they're – is a huge priority for them. So whatever they have to do to yeah. keep Besser is, I think he's, I think he's above all those guys. Like because the end of the day, while JT Miller is a terrific player, it's hard to find bona fide goal scorers like Brock Besser. How's yeah. the Zach Larson deal working out for him? <laughs> all right, Listen, so we talked about it. That, that, that is the one that's the reason why you're not going to be able to keep both one or the other. Well, that and that and Tyler Myers there, is six million bucks. There is some crazy stat out there. Um, about that uh Ekman Larson has only been on the ice for like nine nine goals. Like he's the one of the leaders in terms of the number the fewest number of goals being on the ice for in terms of minutes played. Like even strength I saw this too. I think it was even yeah. strength. It was on one of the, the the telecasts that I was watching. Yeah, it's a nuts that I yeah he's it. like he's like only been on the ice for nine even strength goals. Uh for and it's, it's only people who have played you know X amount of minutes. Oh five hundred plus minutes that's what it was. It okay. was guys who had played 500 plus minutes. He had been on the ice for the fewest number of even strength goals. It's crazy. I maintain when watching him play, I I have no problem with the trade. Like when I watch the games, Rush. when I when I see him out there, I'm like, yeah, he's he's definitely a top four defenseman. Like he is absolutely 100. Just freeze this moment in time and let's fast forward two years and then let's hear Eck talk about it again. Eck, sure, Scott. But, I mean, that, that's two years from now. Four years. I know. I know. I got it. It's a bad but trade. It's another really thing. Bad. One more thing um, about in the trade rumor. Um, so when I was, you know, Klinberg out there, obviously they're there's definitely a push to get his name out there. Um, now, now I'd like to know where is he's going to go. That's that's yeah. But but I think there's a push to get him to get his name around. Um, but when I talked to somebody in my contact in New York for the Rangers for you two guys, um, you know, they both said 
that Giordano was way higher on their level than. than well, you. don't they need Dan a left shot defenseman, not they a do. right shot, right? They do. Yeah. 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 You have Truben Fox already manning the right side to yeah, begin yeah. with. Yeah. I that's why the Klingberg thing didn't make as much. I mean, the right. guy that I've heard for them is Sherratt. Sherratt. Yeah, yeah, I think Sherratt's the best fit for. I them. heard Sherratt. Sherratt. I, I maintain Klingberg, that. Klingberg the wrong side. Sherratt too expensive to get out of Montreal right now. But Giordano nowhere. I think what? Jeff Gordon can make it work, Eck. I heard Giordano is the fit. Like Giordano, is the, the do, price do, is right. Do you think Jeff Gordon wants to deal with the guy who replaced him? I think I think he would if it helps his team. Yes. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Gordon has any again. He dealt with Boston, right? He, he made the right. deal for now. He got lingering in that trade. So yeah. I don't think he has any problems dealing with where no, he no, came from. So and I, look, I'd I rather have Sherrod only because trading market anyway. it gives them it gives them more financial flexibility to go out and get another forward. Based yeah. on what Sherrod is making, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sherrod is the best fit, I think. And right, I again, with Schneider coming up, I think a whole lot of teams right now. Oh yeah, I think Schneider is going to be in the lineup also. So they definitely could use another left shot defenseman. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, I still stick with it. And you know, you're closer to the scene being in Philadelphia. I, I, you know, the way they're going right now, I, you know, we know we talked about it on Off the Post uh, yesterday about Drew. I, I maintain if they're trading Giroux, they're trading Ristolainen too, because it, yeah, unless, unless they can get unless they can get unless they're talking to his agent, uh, I think it's Marcus Leto, and they can and they can get him on a long term deal before the deadline. You can't risk it. You cannot risk the the assets that you can bring back to recoup the first round. And they may be trying to do just that. Right. Mike, if they they might that, be that's smart, but if they can't do that, then then I think they have to shop them. Let, let yeah. me throw in a, an issue out there because it's an important yeah. issue. And you know that I'm a guy that believes that, you you know, the way to make trades is you got to be creative. Like Jim Rutherford, no matter what his cap situation, always yeah. figures out a way to make it work. So, you know, I believe in that. On the other hand, look at all the number of players that we're talking about who either should be or will be available. And are all these guys going to land? Are they going to get room? For, is there room for all these people to change teams like I? It, it seems doubtful that yeah. you know, you're going to be able to do all this. I think – you know what I think is going to happen, Kev? I think some teams that are on the bubble or even not going to make the playoffs may still be making trades at the deadline just because of cap space and future well, look, what I, they I, want. I talked to two GMs who said there's only two teams, and he's gone through it. He's asked, who are, are you willing to take salary? And he said there were only two. No, no, but you have to match it up. I get what you're saying, but yeah. I do think some teams will try and match it up like, you know, my two players for your two players. Here's I do think you'll see. I think Philly will try and do that. Actually, yeah, here's yeah, the thing about that. Kevin, Kevin, is that like just now, or where we are a couple weeks from now? Because the reality is, I think that a couple weeks from now in the East, some of these teams will well, be willing to do. We'll be able to be get creative. Well, I, I think, we'll I, definitely well, I think I they're think gonna try. But the other issue is, you know, we have teams like Tampa Bay has already announced publicly. And you know, I I always get to talk to you about this. I, you yeah. know, they don't lie. If if, if Brisbois says, you know, well, we're not likely to do anything. I, I don't think he is. And you know, the, now what could change everything if we have season-ending injuries? Right. Um, and and, and it's, it, you know, it's a GM. The GM is, is like I've always said, is a milk carton. It's a milk carton with an expiration date on every statement that's made by a general manager. You know, yeah. there's a that's good for you know until January twenty-first. You know, well, you know yeah, but I think when they say things like. And I've had a GM tell me this as well. Like, I really liked my team. And he asked me, he said, do you like this guy? I don't want to say who it was. And I said, yeah, I like him a lot. And he goes, yeah, I do too. But that's the guy I'd have to get rid of in order to make, you know, to sign someone. 
Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to do that. And there's also this matter of really it's interesting about that is that, you know, sometimes a GM will come out and say that because as, as like a way of, of boosting the team morale, you know, saying, okay, we're, we're solid. I, no, I'd say, it, to me, it's the other way around. I, I, I think that Brisbois said that because he wanted to make sure his team wasn't waiting for right. something right. to happen. That's, that's, that's because right. everyone was writing that they were, who was going to be their right shot defenseman. Right. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we have right. him telling the athletic, you know, I like my guys. I don't want to trade anyone off of it. I can't do anything. Well, you know? here's here's where the invent defending Stanley Cup champions twice. So. Here's where the inventiveness yeah. gets 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 put through. Is okay. For example, Arizona. I was looking at them in terms of a team that you know might be willing to take on salary or or retain salary for some of the guys that they they have. They've already retained salary on Kemper and Ekman Larson. So they can't, they can retain salary on one more player and then they can't do it. They're going to have to basically make hockey deals or have the, have the team that they're trading with take all the salary on. What's interesting is a team like Buffalo, they've only retained salary on one guy. They've got Johnny Boychuk on the roster who's on LTIR. Can you see one of these teams that right is right up against the cap trading for an LTIR guy to create cap space i'll tell you right now that's going to happen i'll bet you anything they trade boychuk's contract at the deadline and make some make some cap room for a team that's looking to add a player i'm sure the islanders would take him back under those circumstances <laughs> if he could play russ well yeah i mean play. that's very possible you know and and there's no there's no two ways that that i would be interested do you know what the two teams that are you are talking about kevin in this situation well one of them's detroit i don't know uh who yeah. This, yeah 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 I mean, because you know, I've it's it's a, it's a cost benefit analysis, though, Kev. I think oh, yeah. when you get closer to the deadline, if a team like Ottawa that has twenty million dollars in cap space is offered a high draft pick to retain salary, it'd be the third team in a three-way deal. I think they'll do it because it's not it's smart to do it. I, yeah, I, I think there's always a a point where you're that it's too good a deal not to take. Yeah, yeah. but you know. I, What's always forgotten is that's the second part of that deal. So you have to give up something in order to make the guy you want to acquire the guy you want. And then, you know, if you're saying, okay, well, we're going to give a high or a first, another first round pick to Ottawa to get them to do that, because you might have to give them a first round pick in order right. to do it. I'm not yeah. sure you're going to give up two first round picks. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that when I was talking to somebody is, you know, a, a GM who said, you know, it was in the Eastern Conference, and he said, listen, you know, the rule of thumb for me has been if my team is close to 700 winning percentage at this time, I have to be aggressive. I have a chance. That means that means I have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. So if I'm, and he says, the problem is with our, we're all near 700. And he's like, so if we're all near 700, then you could either, you either would have an arms race potentially break out where somebody goes like the Rangers at Pavelski and Klingberg. That just changes everything in the East, you know, and suddenly now you have an arms race, right? Right now, Pittsburgh trades for JT Miller. Right, but that's but it's hard to get an arms race going, like we've said, with no cap space. So you have to get a bunch of teams. So that arms race could lead to some really sweet deals coming Ottawa's way. You know, like everybody starts making hockey deals, and it's not just draft picks and prospects for a player with player with salary. Right. I don't think Ottawa is one of those teams that would take salary right now. You know, because oh, yeah. you have to pay the yeah, I agree. I, I, so yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I do, I do think that that's probably true. I think there are, but there are some teams in the East that you know that ha, that have you know that have money. They don't have money right now in the cap space and cap to spend. But if they end up in a situation where they could move some things around, that would, I think, it'd be interesting to see because you have some real, definitely strong teams that are out of the playoffs right now. 
Again, we um, still have a long way to go. March 4th is the deadline. Oh, yeah. So, so no, like whether that date even stays the same, I've heard that date could change. So you have three months. So, well, yeah. so it's like interminable right now. Two yes. months right now. So that's a long time. Wow. And we had, we got, yeah, two months. That's not, that's not all that long. So. No. It's not long in terms of the fact that teams are falling out of the playoffs every day now. It feels like, like you know, like the, well, in that situation. You know, I, if I had to guess what the other team is, I'm looking at this now. Um, don't you think it's it's the Columbus Blue Jackets? Uh, you, know, you know, you um, know, uh, you know. I don't, I don't know. The Buffalo Sabers, yeah. I think I guess, Buffalo is a possibility. It could, be, it could be the Sabers because. I think that they're still on the hunt for as many assets. If you're talking about a Western Conference team, um, I know that San Jose was the middleman on a couple of deals last year. They could be um, the team willing to do that. Maybe, maybe Chicago. Although, you know, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe I just, New Jersey. Like the Devils could be a team like that. Like and they're... and remember, Seattle is a clean slate. No salary retention. Yeah, to me, that's a big, that's a big one. And they, yeah. if Seattle does, if Seattle knows it's good for them, they do, they do make a couple of those kind yeah, of. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think Francis is that guy. And when's the last time New Jersey has done that? Yeah, Seattle's got seven million dollars, so that's uh, yeah, you know, so that would be they could do that. But you know, again, I think it does come down to what they're willing to give up. I mean, last yeah. when. Last year, Eiserman got a uh, a third round pick for taking a million dollars. Right now, so if you're so, what would the cost be if you're asking them to take? And I, by the way, Eiserman is the, said he won't do long term deals. Right. So you got, you're just taking one year. One year deal. We're talking. We're actually not one. Year. If you're if you're being the third party on a rental, you're talking about that occupying your cap for two months. I think the big name yep. in this situation that you're talking about is Pavelski. Okay, like you're talking. I think that's the name you're talking about. He's he's obviously if Detroit, I mean if Dallas, if Dallas feels like they're out of it, Pavelski has a huge amount of value. Right. So so if you're going to yes. trade him through a third team, you're going to make a seven million dollar player a one point seven five million dollar. Right. Player. Right. And yeah. then you're going to give up a lot to get Pavelski. Yeah, for sure. If you're going to ask the Steve Eiserman, or let's just say it's Columbus or Columbus to do that, what are they going to be willing to take for that? that? So. A lot. I mean, they know they they know that you're they know that they have you over barrel. They're gonna you're gonna have to give up a lot. You One, have to two four. first round draft picks, and it's weird. To, you know, it, you could be looking at something like that where it gets absolutely nobody's absurd. gonna give up two first. No, but again, this this is why no, not from up, one team, up, but maybe may two teams. Oh, might, okay. Moving about, guys up and yeah. back to the taxi squad or the AHL, and you slowly incrementally add a little bit more room over the next month. Right. That reduces the amount you have to take on and reduces what you may have to pay yeah, a little right. bit, not a ton, Kevin, but yeah, yeah. you can That's still create a little bit more space yeah. that way. Yeah, a little bit, but not, not much. Right. If you if and a team those, like the Rangers have $10 million, you can maybe bump it up a little bit and create additional room. That's all. But Jan, unless they change what they're going to do, those taxi squads evaporate after the All-Star break. Now, I think that they probably should extend it the rest of the year. I think they will. I do, too. They have no choice but to do that. But right, as of right now, they say they're going to be gone after and, and the players are the players are footing that bill anyway right now. Yeah, yeah they if know that. If we're starting to, uh, uh, you know, getting players getting their second cases of COVID, did I see that Erickson went back on the uh, COVID? Erickson Eck. Oh no, I didn't see that. I yeah, didn't see that either. Uh, I thought he, I thought he did. And okay. you know, in Detroit, we've had the Kaiser that's had it twice, and Jeff Carter's been on twice. Um, so if we're going through the second round again, 
you know, I, you gotta have, ta- you gotta have those taxes. Yeah. Uh, the last thing, last thing I have here is um, the Montreal General Manager search, which is which I've been following pretty closely. Um, down to apparently three names. Um, one of them being Danny Briere. Just yeah. the the yeah. thought of of um, I wanted Kevin. I wanted your opinion on Danny Briere taking that position. What well, I would prefer if you know Montreal is a big time franchise. I would prefer yeah. more experience. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I like Danny, you know, so he's a nice guy and, uh, you know, I wish him, wish him well, if he gets it, it seems like, it seems like though, the, if if Danny Breyer is one of the finalists, he's definitely not qualified for it. No, if he's one of the the finalists, what they're looking at is a face of the franchise and let Gordon Mm -hmm. be the GM. That's how I see it. You know, yeah. You're absolutely right. His background and his background here in Philadelphia right now is that he's been mostly working on the business side. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely been operation, and he's done yes. a few assistant coaching things recently with the Phantoms, uh, with, with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. But you know, this is a way for him to gain experience at that. You know, at, at that. But again, it's it. If you're the public face of the Montreal Canadiens, yeah, but this come on, this, we, we we all know what this is. It's a it's a GMino. It's a GM in name only. I mean, I think he's in. Right. I think he's basically an assistant general manager, but he's French. He's a he's French speaking, and he'll be the face. While Gordon is going to be the one doing most of the hockey. Not to say he's not going to have responsibility, because I'm sure he's going to, you know, whoever's going to. Fill oh, his opinion will be listened to, but. I think that you're right, Mike. I mean, that, that's and but and I think that anybody like he would know this going right. in. That, but but it but it is interesting because I know somebody else who hired who interviewed one time for a general manager job, and they thought in Calgary, you know, where they thought Burke was going to be the guy, and that they were going to just be the, and they they were like they're not going to do that. They thought their career that would that would end their career basically. That would they would go there, and that would be it. Like they would might have one shot at being a G, and if they wanted to have a career now. Career, if he wants to be a career GM in the league, which I think he does, because I've seen, you know, like you said, Mike, he's really gone, done the. I mean, Anthony, he's done the work as far as learning business stuff, and right. also up in up in up working with the main Mariners before that, mm-hmm. he's really been in throwing himself into the business. I think he does want to be a longtime GM, but how do you turn down an opportunity to be the Montreal Canadiens general manager? You know, that's like even if you're just in name only, um, yeah. that's a, that's a big and and he, and as far as personality goes, I mean. He's the perfect guy. He's the per- he's the perfect guy to throw in. He's he's, he's friendly, happy. You know, he's a good looking. Who were the other two names? Um, I hadn't heard the. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.